this morning, I want to talk about the older brother. And uh, the message is entitled, Living in the Shadow of the Older Brother. And this is a familiar story. I brought up on stage something that our church has um, displayed on uh, the wall of the hallway down on the way to the pastor's offices. So this is something that I pass just about every day when I'm in the office. And uh, it's, of course, by Rembrandt. And Rembrandt died in 1669, and most uh, scholars and art historians believe that that was done right at the end of his life, maybe two years before uh, he died. And Rembrandt sketched or painted the subject of the prodigal throughout his uh, 30 years, more than 30 years, uh, with sketches um, and uh, paintings as well. Not only that, but in over you know the last thousand years, this is one of the stories that's the most represented in Christian art. Uh, whether that's stained glass windows in churches throughout Europe um, or art like this, paintings, wood carvings, um, uh, etchings. So this story has been resonating with people for a long, long time. And if you know the story, then you know there is something profound about this short little story. I had a literature professor uh, in college who said that the best fiction is true. What she meant is that the best fiction is true to life. That is, that though the characters may be fictional, what's happening is very, very real. And that's one of the profound elements of this particular story that Jesus told in Luke 15, uh, is that it is very, very true to life. And the farther you push into it, the more true uh, you realize that it is. <clears throat> well, let's look first uh, at Luke 15. Um, we're going to be reading. I've got the passages up on, on the overhead so you can follow along. And uh, the reason why I selected this particular story, and, and in particular to focus on the older brother of the two brothers, uh, is because the Lord has been uh, knocking on my heart. So um, because I only preach a handful of times a year, um, I'm always sort of like at a dartboard figuring out, you know, Lord, what in the world do you want me to preach about this week? Um, I can't, you know, start a series or anything like that. And so the Lord said, why don't you just share with the congregation the business that you and I have been doing together? Uh, and that business has been revealing to me in all of its ugly entirety uh, how much of the older brother, uh, how much of his shadow has fallen on my life. And so as I preach the message to you, I want you to understand that this is a message that's coming from the work that the Lord is doing in my own heart, revealing the older brother in my life. But I'm not alone I'm in good company. Um, one of the most famous older brothers, at least the spirit of the older brother in, in the pages of the scripture is Jonah. If you know the story of Jonah, you have for yourself there revealed one of the hearts and manifestations of the older brother. But he's not alone. Sarah, Abraham's wife, first time she throws out Hagar, perfect demonstration of the spirit or the heart of the older brother. And of course, then there's me leading the pack of older brothers. Let's look at the passage today uh, together, Luke 15. <clears throat> and if you know, this is the third story in the passage of Luke 15. There's lost sheep, there's lost coins, and now there's lost boys. Verse 11, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now, before you die. 
So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead, and he has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields, working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry, and he wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I have slaved for you, and you never once refused to do a single thing. I never refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your, your money with prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead, and he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Well, a look at the younger brother. I don't want to spend tons of time here, but just a few notes. In order for him to get the inheritance, of course, he required his father to sell off livestock, uh, farmland, uh, other things, because he doesn't have this all in the bank, right? So, so the estate starts to contract in order for the father to be able to give the son you know, the cash equivalent uh, of his uh, part of the estate. <clears throat> Not only that, but once that estate contracts, uh, now you need less servants, less help, or perhaps you can support less servants and less help. So there's a lifestyle change for those who are left back at home. Uh, there's, there's a little bit of suffering that happens, a little bit of tightening of the belt because of that contraction of the estate that happens back at home while the son is off uh, doing wild living. Of course, he returns destitute, and what he's prepared to do is to ask to be a servant, essentially an indentured servant. So in the law, uh, the Jewish law, 
uh, there was a provision that if you owed a debt that you could not pay, uh, there were wages that were established by the law which you could be paid and, and you would work off that debt by serving that individual or that family. And so the younger son, of course, realizes I can't, I've cashed in my chips as a son, but maybe I could be an indentured servant uh, to my father and to the estate. <clears throat> and what was he given when he arrived? He was given fellowship, love, and restoration. So we see the father embracing the son. Rembrandt chooses to represent the father with his hands almost in a position of, of blessing to indicate that there is blessing waiting for that son and he's embracing him. Not just that, but he says to the servants, I want you to bring the finest robe. And I'm imagining that that's one of the father's uh, robes in his uh, closet, so to speak. And so that's brought out. I don't know when the father would wear that finest robe. If it was for weddings, if it was for funerals, if it was for celebratory uh, re uh, religious festivals. Um, but that was special. Special things happen with that cloak. And so that cloak, the finest one that's owned in this home, is put on that younger son. But not just that, he's given a ring. And the ring symbolizes a number of things in the Old Testament and in the ancient world. It was used for a number of different reasons. But the very least that this means is that the younger son is being embraced back into the family. That there's a constant reminder that he is a part of the family. He left as a son and he's coming back as a son. Not just as a son, as an honored son. He's got the honor of the coat. He's got the honor of the ring. And of course, he's got the honor of the blessing and restoration of his relationship with his father. <clears throat> 